Keys. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars, and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. TheCoolShop.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for fun. The gumball rally has begun! The gumball rally. And all out. Anything goes. Absolutely illegal race. Times Square to the Pacific Ocean. No catalytic converter and no 55 mile an hour speed limit. The next time out, I'm going to make sure you get a driver's license. 35 magic hours flat out against the red line. It's not a risk, it's a challenge. The drivers come in all shapes, sizes, and sexes. Hey, slow that thing down! If you catch me, you can have me. From all walks of life, all over the world. The first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. But in the Gumball Rally, the cars are the stars. Camaro, Corvette, Cobra, Porsche, Ferrari, Rolls-Royce, Kawasaki. They go over, under, around, and through. Anything that stands between them and the finish line. It's a mad, 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 mad world on wheels. But this is a race, man. Some things are more important than winning. So fasten your seatbelts. What's the matter with you? The Gumball Rally has begun. Tonight on Nostalgic Cars and Radios, it's... No, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hi, I'm Bob Bondurant. I won the World Manufacturers Championship in the Ford Cobras in 1965. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, you're... Uh, hey, let me try that one more time. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Man, I'll tell you what. I just... I can't believe my mind went blank. Okay. Hey, welcome, listeners. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. No, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Welcome, listeners. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Right to your computers and Google. TagTalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studio. Now, let me apologize for that because I was actually reading something here at the last minute because we are running a few minutes behind schedule. And hey, guys, it's live radio, so anything's possible. Right, Bobby? Good evening. How you doing that night? That's true. That's true. Yeah. See, so Bobby's in there on the other side of the window. I can see him, and he's going like, gee, really? What is, like, uh, wow. Anyway, he doesn't even know what to make of this thing. But anyways, yeah, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. And if you miss any of our past shows, be sure and check out our archive page on uh, Nostalgia Radio and Cards. On our, or no, on uh, Golfstream Motorsports, our website. Boy, I'll, I'm, I, I, you know what? I have to apologize. I've been thrashing. I'm working with my good friends over there at Hollywood Wheels. we got our auction coming up here in uh, May. No, May. God, May. Look at me. I just can't believe it. I don't even know what time of day it is. March 10th, 11th. Okay. What shows this? <laughs> uh, nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay. See, that's that's what's cool. It's live radio. We can do this. So, well, and, at least and you it, remember the names. Right. And it's unedited. Okay. So, and, and I'm not going to edit this later. Usually, I edit the show, and I try to tighten up all my stuff, my tidy up all the, you know, you know, kind of tighten the show up a little bit and kind of tweak it a little bit. And uh, but I'm not going to because I think this is kind of funny. This this kind of really lets you guys know this is the real deal. We're not making this stuff up. We're not making this stuff up. This is not fake radio. This is real radio. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You like that? Put a big sign. I like that one. I was gonna <laughs> put a big sign in there with a fake radio with a line through it. <laughs> fake radio. So anyway, yeah, right here. Yeah, right. And 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 this is live over the airway. So it's streamed live across the internet as well. So. Uh, um, and uh, we got a lot of listeners around the country too. You know, we have some pretty, pretty decent. Uh, we got a decent flow of uh, listeners and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we're working on right now is uh, we're looking on possible satellite syndication. So I'm kind of proud to be talking about that a little bit. And we're working getting into getting into some decent uh, markets. For example, Arizona, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, hopefully, and uh, South Florida. So that's what we're working on right now. But in the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Now on Instagram and LinkedIn uh, and YouTube, the first two, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the last two at Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Twitter's at NRC on air, and Instagram, welcome to the family, at Gulfstream Motorsports. Yeah. Okay. It's, well, um, that was a mouthful. Yeah. So anyway, and uh, oh yeah, happy Valentine's Day to all our lady listeners and uh, especially Valentine's. Happy Valentine's to my lovely wife of 35 years, I think, something like that, 30 some odd years. Let me see. 30, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So anyway, 35 years. Wow. Anyway, uh, and uh, congratulations to us. <laughs> we just had our uh, 35th anniversary here uh, in uh, in January. So at any rate, hey, here's what's going on. We got the uh, National Mustang Racing Association, which is March 2nd and 5th. Now I will have some tickets. So we will do a radio show giveaway here in a little bit. I know I got them coming, so I'll tell you what. Well, Bobby, you can queue up that little thingy in a little bit, and we'll do that in a minute. And then we also have the National Mustang the following week, the National Muscle Car Mayhem, also at Bradenton Motorsports, our good friends down there. So big shout-out to to uh, Mike Z and uh, the rest of the guys down there at Bradenton Motorsports. And that is March 9th and 12th. Our auction, Hollywood Wheels, will be at Amelia Island. Okay, we've got the Porsche Works Reunion East coming. We've got festivals speed up there. And, of course, the Mac Daddy of all is our good friend Bill Warner's Amelia Island Concourse, now the 21st, I think this is the 21st season, right, Bobby? Because it was the 20th last year, right? 1996 was the first year. Okay. The first year that we went, or that, yeah, actually, no, I went, was with Chris from Lincoln Land. We went in 1997, or I went the first year for 1997, because the schedule always kind of conflicted with the vintage races at Sebring, so, which that's also coming up. Our good friends at HSR. Bobby, if you get a chance, check the calendar real quick, because I didn't get this computer slow in here, but... uh, so let's see. Oh yeah, then Carlisle Events, our good friends over there, Mike and those guys, and uh, and the Millers, they're doing their big event in uh, at the uh, Lakeland Fairgrounds over there, and that is the 23rd. This weekend is also the Dupont Cars and Coffee. Now, did I mention that was your show host Robert, and you tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars? And uh, you- no, I think that was the part when you were uh, trying to. Try to figure, figure all that out. Yeah, figure all that out. Okay, run your computers and Google uh, tantalk1340.com, and you can see it streamed live on the Internet. And then don't forget to check out our website, gulfstreammotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our shows, go to our archive page, which is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, which can be found on our website. Okay, so what did we do this weekend? Well, this weekend I ran back down to South Florida because we had the Boca Raton Concourse. And of course, if you tuned in on our show last week, we had uh, Bradley Farrell on, and he was the uh, founder of The Finest. 
automobile auction, and uh, it was a pretty good auction, actually. I mean, the presentation was very good. I liked it. There was a good turnout for the first time out of the box down there. Beautiful hotel down there, the Boca Raton Resort, and, and I think I did that right because while I was down there, I had to you know kind of text back and forth. I had Bobby kind of help me tweet and Instagram and Facebook and all that other social media stuff, and then our my buddy Blake, who is uh, whose dad owns Vintage Motors in Sarasota, so a big shout-out to Vintage Motors, Blake uh, Godby and Martin Godby. Blake's Bobby's age. He's 19. So I was sitting there on the couch with uh, my little thing, and I was trying to do this stuff. And I, the auction's going on, so you really can't – I can't make a phone call or anything like that. So I go, Blake, here, how do I do this? So he says, well, here, let me do this. And he's showing me how to do this following and add this and do this and do that and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm learning it slowly, slowly. I'm kind of slowly, gradually moving into the 21st century. Is that what they call it, Bobby? I guess that's what they tell us we're in. Are the millennial the millennial age for yeah. you guys? Millennial guys. We okay. It's, it's, so it, just, it is a test run on Instagram. So if you go over and follow us, that'll tell us to keep it. So if you want us to stay on Instagram, go well, over and give us a like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And and Instagram's kind of we're going to start using that kind of as a marketing tool. Okay. Now we got another couple other little toys that we're going to be playing with. We're going to be playing with our. We're going to ramp up our little deal with our little GoPros and stuff like that. And we're going to start doing some more. Uh, with our what? Our GoPros. Your GoPros. And uh, No, no, no. I was saying, hurrah, this is uh Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. <laughs> well, we're going to be doing all this stuff. And i got to learn that because Bobby's got to kind of figure it out first. He's got to understand it. And then what he'll do is he'll kind of like show me. And then hopefully, you know, in a year or two down the road, I'll figure out how to do this stuff too. Kind of like the radio. Actually, I started doing the radio first. And then he kind of came in. And he just went, pew, and just blew right past me. Now. Did you find HSR's uh, schedule by any chance? Yeah. I think, a, I think there's a race this week. Huh? Yeah, the HSR, Historic Sports Car Racing. And because uh, I think there's an event this weekend. And uh, I actually, SVR. I had a spring fling February 17th. That's this Sebr- weekend. Sebring spring. Sebring, Sebring spring, spring fling. fling. Right. So. Wow. In fact, uh, I was just talking to somebody, and I understand Cami Edelbrock, uh, the official Nostalgic Radio Car Sweetheart, is now back working at Edelbrock. She kind of took a hiatus and went and worked for some marketing companies. Now she's back with Edelbrock, and I believe she may be at Sebring this weekend racing. So we might be going to Sebring this weekend. I'm not even sure. And it really wasn't on my schedule, but it looks like I might be going to Sebring to the vintage races. So check out HSR, Historic Sports Car Racing. Now, Bobby, you got something cute on the key? I do. Okay. Did I get? I can't believe 18 minutes already went by. Yeah, 18. Wow, well, 18 minutes. Hey, we got to stick around. We got to. Oh yeah, this song goes out to my lovely bride of 35 years, cause she is a lady. But she always knows her place. She's got style. She's got grace. She's a winner. She's okay. 
This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars, and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. TheCoolShop.com. The you may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Reading Cars, and yes, I am your show host, Robert. One more time. Okay, anyway. Hey, we got it this time. We got, we got it right this time. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, a little uh, Tom Jones there, and uh, a little dedication song, Valentine's dedication song to my lovely bride of 35 years, Teresa. Love you, dear. Anyway, okay, so uh, Boca Concourse, wow, beautiful concourse, beautiful setting. It was actually laid out pretty good. And uh, this time I walked around and I was kind of looking at uh, kind of unusual cars. You know, not the typical cars. Yes, there was Mustangs. Yes, there was Corvettes. Yes, there was Porsches. But I kind of gravitated towards, um, believe it or not, heavy classics or full classics, as they call them. Heavy American classics, full classics. I was talking to a couple guys that own some Duesenbergs. And I'll tell you what, you really start looking at those Duesenbergs and what incredible cars. There was a gentleman there that had um, three. That was uh, Steve Wolf. He's had, uh, he had a, a Roadster, a Phaeton, and a Sedan. This other gentleman I met who happens to be in the waste disposal business slash salvage yard business. He had two. He had a Roadster, beautiful, what they call a Duesenberg J model, and a sedan as well. And then uh, Mark Hyman was there from Hyman Imports or Hyman Auto Sales, and he's out of Missouri. You'll see him around on TV every once in a while on Keith Martin's show, uh, What's My Car Worth? And he had a really cool car. In fact, he had the same car at uh, the Arizona Concourse this past January. So... Beautiful cars. I mean, you really, really have to look at these vintage cars, these heavy American classics, full classics. Look at the detail. You know, they didn't have computers. So all this stuff was done, designed, and created on paper and then by hand. I mean, just amazing, amazing workmanship. Uh, Wayne Green was there shooting the crap with Wayne a little bit, you know, talking to him. John Stalupi was there, and uh, we're going to get John Stalupi on. Now, he's known for being one of the uh, largest independent automotive dealers in the country, but he's also well-known because he's got a beautiful car collection down in South Florida, and it's called, I think, the Dream Car Garage or something to that effect, which he opens up for charity functions. And also, he is on the quest to build the world's fastest super yacht. So we haven't had anybody talking about super yachts on our radio show, so I think it's only fitting that we have John Stalupi come on and talk a little bit about that. Super nice guy. So um, again, some incredible cars down there. I've run into my usual crowds. You know, Mike Flynn was down there, obviously. Robert Camerdine from uh, South Florida. These are all car collectors. Of course, Mike I work with here at Hollywood Wheels. Greg Brody, good friend of ours, also collects classic cars, and he's into vintage guitars. You know, everybody's down there. And uh, Dom Tumont was down there. And uh, so it's like a big, kind of like a ritual. A big shout-out to Lorraine over at Vantage Motorworks, a.k.a. Hashtag. The uh, Car Show Queen, that is her new moniker after this weekend. But anyway, they uh, Vantage Motorworks restores Rolls Royces and Bentleys. And uh, she'll come on again. She'll tell us about some cars that she's working on down there. And I've just been 
begging to get into that parts room. They got seven buildings full of project cars and parts. And you know me being a parts junkie. I don't know what I'll find in there, but I know it's primarily Rolls Royce and and Bentley and some cool British stuff, but uh, pretty cool stuff. So anyway, Bobby's going to go ahead and then, uh, rattle the phone here a little bit. We're going to get our special guest on for the evening. This gentleman's been on our show before, and uh, we always look forward to having him on because he is iconic. And uh, you just have to wait in suspense until he comes on our show. And uh, very, very, very well-known and famous uh, gentleman and probably one of the most significant contributors to the racing world. So we want to hear our song now? Yeah, go ahead and let's hear our okay, song, sure. and uh, we'll go ahead and get our guests on. And you tune into Nostalgic Rating Cars, and we'll talk a little bit about the Boca Concourse next time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you tune into Nostalgic Rating Cars. Here's a little Jesse Colin Young. One of my favorite songs. One of my favorite. Yeah, I like this song a lot. It's Ridgetop, about Marin County. Second made it his personal mission to dethrone the reigning king, Enzo Ferrari. Henry Ford was extremely upset. So, so upset, in fact, that he called in his main racing uh, uh, program people and pulled them into his office and he essentially looked them all in the eye and said, I don't care what it takes, I want you to beat that son of a Ford initiated a blank check, all-out assault to build his own sports car. If you put it in context, similar to the 1960s when President Kennedy said America is going to the moon, in the world of Ford Motor Company, the same sort of thing happened where Henry Ford II said, we're going to win the moon. There's things written to the tune that this was a $100 million campaign. So there was really, there was really a vendetta, if I can use that phrase, on, on uh, Henry Ford's part. The result of his frustration with Ferrari would become the Ford GT, an exceptional automobile that is one of the best-loved and most charismatic racing cars of all time. Hey, this is Chip Foos, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Rock on. Okay, we're back, and uh, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening, and I'm delighted to welcome back an alumni guest and a good friend of mine, the father of the true Le Mans winning car, the Daytona Coupe, Peter Brock. Peter, are you there? I'm here. How you doing, Rob? Pretty good. Now, I did two things. I played a song by Jesse Cullen Young, because somewhere I read that you were originally from Marin County, from uh, the Sausalito area. Is that true? That's correct, yeah. I grew up in San Rafael. How about that? And uh, 
small world. It is, really. And then uh, the other re- the thing I played was the Ford thing, because I know they give a lot of credit to the Ford GT2, and it was Ford GT, and it was an amazing car. But you really came out with probably the most incredible Le Mans winning car that to this day, I think, is the milestone car that ever to race um, United States and Europe, because every time the car went out, it was uh, the fastest lap setter. Well, it, it really changed the world of... Uh of racing, but it was the last car that was sort of designed um, by the individuals and the mechanics on the floor that uh, put the car together with their own experience uh, as compared to the Ford GT, which was the next level up, which was completely uh, designed by engineers and uh, sets of computers and uh, completely changed racing. And the thing was is that prior to the point of 1965, all focus was on GT racing because that was the closest thing to what people understood they were driving on the street. Uh, at the point that Ferrari finally quit the GT class because he couldn't compete with the, the uh, Daytona Cobra and switched over to the prototype class, all the press and the media focused on the prototypes, and uh, we sort of lost the whole meaning of what racing is about to try to develop better street machines. So to this day, the front-engine design of the Daytona has had more effect on modern automotive design than any of the mid-engine cars that are run like the like the Ford GT or Lamborghinis or McLarens or any of the, the great modern uh, mid-engine cars. They aren't really something that you can uh, apply to uh, automotive use on the street. So the whole idea of the chopped-off tail of the Daytona Cobra Coupe was considered, you know, really radical at the time. But if you look out on the street today, practically every car out there running has a chopped-off tail. And that was called the cam style? Is that what it was called? Yeah, it was called the cam style, cam style tail, K-A-M-M, mm-hmm. uh, from Dr. Vunabal Kam, who was a leading... Uh, uh, scientist in aerodynamics in the late 30s in Germany. But uh, the, the probability is is that another uh, designer, a young guy uh, who worked for Com, was the guy that really came up with all and that was uh, uh, Reinhard Koenig von Faschenfeld, and he was a young aristocratic German uh, who raced motorcycles there and actually won the championship and uh, came up with the ideas uh, and actually uh, found those ideas initially on uh, uh, applicable to uh, buses on the on the on the autobahns. They were making them more efficient, tapering the body off and chopping it off. And he was able to get more people in the bus and make it more efficient uh, with that basic design. So that's where it all came from: was the, the bus design. And uh, later. Uh, they did more investigation on it and actually built some very beautiful prototypes, but they were so strange-looking at the time uh, that there was no acceptance uh, by any of the companies like Vonder or Ley or Steyr Pook or Audi, uh, for whom they built the cars, and even BMW, but they were all rejected because they looked so strange with a chopped-off tail. Today, that is... Absolutely the way all cars are designed, but at that time it was considered so radical from the period of where everybody expected a long, tapered, beautiful, uh, fish-like tail. They thought that was the most uh, uh, efficient, and it wasn't. It, uh, the chopped-off tail is more efficient. Wow. Um, back to the, the song, Jesse Colin Young, he uh, actually lived in, I think it was north of Stinson Beach, somewhere along the coastline there, so that was kind of the, the tribute, the tie-in there between you and I. And the Marin County deal, yeah. but growing up in southern in Northern California, in Northern California, we have a little different mindset than Southern Cal's. Um, what? How did you get influenced by cars? And I was also reading that you in 1951, I guess, was your first time that you experienced the um, the races down in the Monterey Forest down there. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just uh, about 14 years old at that point, and I had a next door neighbor who had a, an MG, which at that time was really considered an amazingly different car because the whole sports car movement had only started immediately after World War II when RGI started bringing some MGs back from Europe. 
and uh, the whole thing took off. And I'd say, you know, 90% of the people out there were all driving MGs and racing the same style of cars. So it was a, a, a really a fun, fun period. And for a kid that was 14 years old, uh, I had found this garage that worked on these MGs there in Sausalito, California, and that's where I used to spend my afternoons after school. Instead of doing after-school sports, I'd go over there and, you know, sweep the tools and clean up tools and, you know, just hang around with these older guys, uh, you know, that were in their in their young 20s that were racing these MGs, and I thought that was the coolest thing going and uh, kind of got uh, into the whole sports car movement. And also at that point, there was a, uh, a real irascible old Frenchman there that was building a, a blown MGTC special, and I got to watch him build this car over a period of several months and uh, saw a you know, race car created. And, and, you know, when you were 14 years old, you never knew that people could actually make things with their hands. And the fact that this guy created this incredibly beautiful little car and then took me out for a ride, and it just pretty much changed my life. Those cars back in those days, okay, and 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 and, and Northern California before Sonoma was there, Sears Point. I think they used to race up what closer to Stockton. There was a like a, a country race, a, a road race up there someplace, and I can't oh, remember. There were all kinds of races uh, in that area. We raced at Stockton and Lodi and and. Uh, uh, there were just all sorts of airport races, and nobody had a trailer in those days. And since all the cars were essentially the same MGs, everybody drove their cars to the races in, in race condition. I mean, you could do that in, in back in those days. I mean, they all had straight pipes and no windshields. And, and uh, you know, a whole group of guys that go out of the garage, maybe six or eight of us, and go racing up the highway to these places and, and uh, race over the weekend and come home. It was a, It was just a big great fun club event you know not not anything like today which is so seriously uh commercial about money and racing yeah yeah it's all commercial that's why vintage races are cool in fact we just announced it a little earlier on the show the hsr exactly vintage races taking is at sebring this weekend which is one of your favorite tracks absolutely yeah no i mean the vintage racing is what racing is used to be and, and it still is so much fun because you can actually work on the cars you can't work on modern cars today without all the special electronic factory tools to uh, set everything up, you know, you can you can still take a car apart and put it back together again. And I think that's one of the things that we've lost in our whole educational system uh, is we don't teach people how to do anything with their hands anymore. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I won't argue with you there. That's, uh, that's true. Who are some of your early influences in the car world? In other words, because you, you mentioned the gentleman that, that designed the cam design, or the cam back, the cam steel. Uh, and uh, so who who are some of the other guys? And then I want to fast forward. Well, the, that, go ahead. That didn't come about really until I had gone uh, uh, in these early, early times. I was, you know, racing around uh, California. I didn't even have my license at this time. I mean, it was, I had to wait a long time to get a driver's license, uh, you know, two years. Uh, and I'd actually, you know, got my MG before I was 16. I'd bought a blown-up uh MG, and then the guys in the shop helped me put it all back together. And uh, so I had had my first car when I was 16 and helped, you know, build it and put it back together. And so all of these guys, it was the Bill Breeze Sports Car Center there in in, uh, in Marin City, actually, uh, Marin County, that uh, uh, was where I started working on it. So is that over by, that's over by Mill Valley, isn't it, in that area? Up very close to Mill Valley era, yeah, mm-hmm. right up there at the end of uh, San Francisco Bay, and uh, but there was a whole movement of people that uh, that had all these funny little cars, and and uh, they were you know very close. They all stayed around the sort of same garage and built stuff together, and uh, uh, it was a very uh, close group and, and just a lot of fun. And everything was workable. You could take stuff apart and put it together. So anybody who has, you know, any, you know, good mechanical ability could go racing at that time, and it didn't cost a lot of money, and it was a tremendous amount of fun. Um, and uh, that that all led to my whole interest in automobile stuff, and then I finally found my way down to Art Center College in Pasadena, 
and uh, began studying automotive design and went back and worked for GM. And that's when I discovered all the stuff that had been going on. Hey, Peter, are you still there? Because uh, you're breaking up real bad. Can you hear us? Hello? I'm going to have to call him back. Yeah, see if you can try to get him back here because uh, we had uh, a little bit of static here. So in the meantime, I guess I'll just kind of keep One talking second. about stuff. And uh, But our special guest this evening is Peter Brock, and uh, he is best known for working for Carroll Shelby. In fact, when he went to Carroll Shelby, he originally applied for a job there to um, just to, to race cars, and he actually worked at uh, Carroll Shelby School of Racing, and uh, he was one of the guys that originally worked on the uh, Ford GT350 project. And of course, he some of the early he was one of the first employees there. Besides, I think Ken Miles and um, let's see who else was there. Maybe Mike McDonald and a couple other guys. And uh, so, because the original Cobra obviously was built at uh, I think it was Dean Moon's shop in, uh, in in Los Angeles there. So you know they raced the Cobra for a couple of years. It became successful, and then uh, Ford wanted to, um, they needed another car. They needed to uh, get into GT racing, and they needed another car. So they obviously approached Ford, or Carroll Shelby, with uh, building the Mustang. And, of course, the Mustang became the successful GT350 Shelby Mustang that it is today. So at any rate, at that time, um, one of the ways to kind of help supplement the uh, the racing program was to have a school of racing. So they had the Carroll Shelby School of Racing, and then Pete Brock was one of the drivers. And what was interesting is um, I first met Peter at, um, might have met him. I met him briefly at the, I think it was the 1990 event, Shelby Met event in Atlanta. But then I actually had a chance to really kind of hang out and talk with him again in 1995 at the um, Shelby event there at, uh, at the National Shelby Convention in Atlanta again. And um, then again, I bumped into him, I think in 96 when we were up at Lime Rock. And at Lime Rock, he was kind of walking around there a little bit and hanging out in the pits. And I guess he borrowed somebody's Shelby. And then those time in those days, which what they used to do is they used to be able to, to they weren't in between races. They would let you do like um, touring or like um, uh, uh, track track runs. And okay, so what you did is you if you had your car there, you just signed up and you signed the waiver and you got to drive your track around on the course. You weren't racing, but they had a pace car out there and they would pace you and you could basically run not fast, but you could get up to speed a little bit. So you could run if the if the if if the race cars were running, you know, 120, 130, 140 on the straightaway, you were lucky if you got up to, you know, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. And uh, and obviously in the turns you had to slow down. So it was kind of controlled, it was a controlled environment. And um so what happened was is Pete was there and he was in line to go on the track and he and one of the guys that owned a Shelby said, Hey, would you take my car out on the track? Because it was kind of an honor to have a former Shelby employee drive your car. And uh, I'm trying to think of Doug's last name, but Doug had a uh, Doug had a Shelby that I was actually looking at, it, and it was serial number zero zero three. So it wasn't the first street Shelby, but it was it was within the first production, one of the first three Shelbys that was built. He had found that car. He had kind of restored the car, reconditioned the car. It wasn't beat up or anything like that, but it was an X race car. And uh, so, and keep in mind, this is back in the '90s when you could buy a really nice '65 Shelby. Okay, which are bringing over a million dollars today, five hundred thousand for a street car, a million plus, two million for us for a race car. But at any rate, uh, he had uh, this car that had some racing history, but he put it basically in street configuration, but where it was still conducive to track time. So you know, like a, a club racing. And um, so Doug was out there, and he had somebody with him, and I and I was going to ride with him, but I didn't get. I was, as usual, jaw jacking in the pits. So Pete rolls up. <coughs> Excuse me, and he, there's nobody in the car with him, right? So I said, "Hey, Pete, you got room for a, for a passenger?" He says, "Yeah, but you got to go grab a helmet." So now I got to run around in the pit real quick. Well, before he goes out on the track, try to find a helmet. So I had to borrow a helmet from some guy, and uh, I get I threw the guy five bucks, and uh, Pete says, "Hop in the car." So we rode around at, at Lime Rock, and and I didn't. I always perceived Pete as a as a um, you know a designer, an engineer type kind of guy, I never really thought of him as a race car driver. It wasn't until years later I found out that he actually was one of the instructors at the Carroll Shelby School of Racing. Peter, are you there? I'm uh, telling a story. I'm back again, yeah. I don't uh, know where we got cut off there. Oh, we cut well when you were talking about the 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 school of uh, the art center down there. But what I was telling my listeners in the meantime, I was telling them how that time when you and I were up at Lime Rock, and uh, you were gracious enough to give me a ride in the Shelby. We actually rode around the Lime Rock uh, racetrack up there a couple. We made a couple laps out there. So, uh, and I was telling them that I never perceived of you as a race car driver. I I always my 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 knowledge of you at that time was that you designed the Cobra and you worked in the shop and you were an engineer designer and so on and so on and so on. And then I come to no, find out my that whole, 
Go ahead. My whole goal originally from the time I was 12 years old was to be a professional race car driver. Yeah. uh, That's everything I did, but I had to wait till I was 21. So all of those years waiting from, you know, 14 until I was 21, until I get my license, all I could do was do other things that were related to racing. And it gave me a great education on how to run a race team or how to build a car and uh, all of those things. So when the opportunity came, to run Shelby's driving school. I ran his driving school for him and did all the development on the Cobras, but the cars were so successful immediately that we had Dan Gurney, we had Bob Bondrant, we had Dave McDonald, we had Ken Miles. All of these top guys were at the door the next day after we won our first race, and there's not going to be a chance that a guy that had not the experience that those guys had uh, to drive the cars. So uh, I was helpful in the development of the car, but never did get to race them, even though that ride had been promised to me. Wow. Well, now let's jump forward to the Daytona. And, and when you and I bumped into each other in uh, at SEMA this past year, um, I was showing you, because uh, I, I, I was kind of begging you to, to help me with a little bit of artwork on my business card, and I pulled out this Lamborghini 350 GT, and you immediately recognized that car. Tell the story, because at the time you were in Italy, and you were working on the Daytona Cobra Coupes that were, re- that were being built at Modena, but you had a chance to see some of the other really cool Italian gazo- exotics that were being built, one of which was the uh, Lamborghini 350 GT. Right. Well, uh, San Agata is just down the road from, uh, from Modena, and uh, I had a good friend, uh, Pete Coltrane, who is the American uh, correspondent for Road & Track magazine, was married to an Italian gal and lived there in Modena, and uh, introduced me to all these great little shops that were doing all kinds of stuff. And at that time, Lamborghini was just getting started. And the uh, the real brains behind that uh, uh, operation was a, a guy named Bob Wallace, uh, who had really came up with the ideas for a lot of the things that uh, were eventually used on the Lamborghini. Because Lamborghini, of course, was the top builder of tractors in, uh, in Italy, and he was Frustrated. Is, is there another number we can call you back on real quick? Because that's extremely... Oh, man, that's so sad. Um, try calling him back again one more time? Let's, let's try calling you back one more time here real quick. Because it seems to work for a little while. It seems to work for... Yeah, because it's... You there? Can you hear me okay? Now you're breaking up real bad. Let's try calling so you we'll back. Try it again. So okay, we'll try it. that's fine. Well, it looks like we get a little trouble, trouble with the uh, static here on the phone. So until we get our guests back, let's go ahead and give away some tickets to the upcoming National Mustang Racing Association event, March 2nd and the 5th. And again, we have the National Muscle Car Mayhem, March 9th through the 12th. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and give us a call here at the studio. And the number is 727-727. 441-3000, that's 727-441-3000, or the toll-free number is 866-826-1340. Give us a call here at the studio in downtown Clearwater, and you will win some tickets. Oh, for, here we go. Oh, here we go. Okay, hey, we're going to, uh, Bobby's going to take care of the guests on the phone, the people that want all these tickets, and what we're going to do is be back in a few Minutes. All right. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Waiting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, that was kind of an interesting story because uh, Pete, I saw Pete at uh, at SEMA. And again, you hear me talking about SEMA all the time. There's four events that you got to go to, okay? And uh, you got to go to Scottsdale in January. You got to go to Amelia Island in March. You've got to go to Monterey in August. And you got to go to SEMA in November. And uh, those are the four major events, venues, automotive, where you meet anybody and Everybody that's ever had anything significantly, significantly to do in the automotive world. I mean, that's where they're going to be hanging out. And they may not attend all of them, but they will be at the majority of them. And that's pretty much the way it works. And um, so at any rate, Pete is just an amazing guy. And I was, I was telling him that, that you know, I kind of, because he's a very, very good graphic artist. He's a photographer. He's a designer, uh, racer. And uh, so we got Peter back. Peter, are you there? I'm here now. Let's try it again. <laughs> Let's try it again. Okay. Three times is a charm, as they say. So anyway, yeah, yeah. you were telling us that the uh, Lamborghini was one of the prettiest cars, and they and and the story about how uh, how Ferruccio was, uh, you know, with his frustrations with uh, Ferrari. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, here, here's a guy that's very, very successful industrialist himself and was very interested in building a, you know, very quality uh, top-end GT car. He wasn't interested in racing at all. Uh, Lamborghini was not somebody who wanted to build race cars like Ferrari was. And if you understand Ferrari, Ferrari didn't build uh, beautiful GT Ferraris to go racing. He believed the only real racing was Grand Prix cars. So that uh, he only built his GT cars to finance his racing in Grand Prix, and he would never race against his customers. So uh, it was uh, really a challenge for him when uh, Shelby showed up with the Cobras because we were racing basically against all of Ferrari's customers and, of course, beating them. So he finally was forced into racing. Uh, his own cars against us and taking his whole Grand Prix team and all of his top engineers and switching them over to GT, GT racing. And, of course, when he got beat, uh, he formally, you know, quit racing in uh, uh, 1965 uh, after we had won the championship. He just admitted that uh, he couldn't keep up with the Cobras and uh, backed out of racing completely in the GT class and shifted all of his emphasis onto the prototype class. Now, the Ford GT, uh, or the GT40 at that time, was also supposed to be a production GT car for the street, but you had to manufacture so many of them to homologate the car, in other words, to be officially recognized by the FIA as a production car. And in those days, nobody could build the required number of cars in the time required. So what you do is you'd send a letter of intent to the FIA saying you intended to build these cars, and they would say, okay, fine, you can continue to race the car until you build the required number. But uh, when Shelby beat Ferrari, he was so incensed with that that he went back to the FIA and said, Shelby's not built enough cars. And by then he had, had already built 50 cars to qualify and uh, began to uh, politic and uh, could try to convince the FIA that they should accept one of his prototype cars, which was a mid-engine 250 GT, to race against uh, our cars. So again, uh, the FIA turned him down because it, it wasn't a, he only had three cars built that were legal. Uh, so then he complained, you know, in the press that uh, he was being uh, unduly uh, penalized because he, they, w they wouldn't let him race his car against the... So it became a very, very political situation with uh, with Ferrari. He was a master of working the uh, the media to his advantage. <laughs> like somebody else we know. But anyway... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I wanted to do... I was hoping, and we only have about five or six minutes left, but what I really wanted to do is I wanted to kind of cover something that you yourself would like to talk about, that you would like to share with listeners, that is really kind of not necessarily common knowledge, because there's been a number of things written about you. We know about the the, the Cobra Daytona. We know about your involvement with BRE Racing. We know about the uh, your your original concept design for the Stingray Corvette. What else would you like people to know about that's really you, you haven't got out there yet? You haven't you haven't yet written a book about it. Well, there's not much. Uh, I mean, all cars are pretty amazing vehicles today. The engineering is so good, you can't really buy a bad car. And yet they're all pretty much the same because you know, when you come down to it, uh, uh, there's only so much you can do within the federal regulations. Uh, so there's a sameness out there in automobiles that's uh, rather unfortunate. And we don't have that great uh, innovation and, and ideas that uh, created the great cars of you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So I think right now most of the great racing is actually occurring off-road. And uh, the great races like the Baja 1000 and the Dakar are the places where the real engineering is going on. And uh, we haven't even begun to use all of the, uh, the technology that we now have available that can go into automotive design. For example, uh, there are more lines of code, for example, on a uh, in the electronics that go into a modern car, uh, that if we begin to use that and uh, begin to apply some aerodynamics on that, I think that we can do some very, very innovative things. But we it's 
almost going backwards because there's more unique things going on in street machines now than there are in race cars because they're so over-regulated you can't move. But if we uh, were to change back to some of the uh, original concepts that we had on tires, uh, you know, because everybody now thinks that you have to have great big fat tires on your car, and you don't. Uh, all they do is create more drag, uh, more rolling resistance, uh, more unsprung weight, more inertial weight, or whatever. So my theory is that we can all go back to little skinny tires again and uh, control the amount of downforce on them in the corners uh, with electronically controlled aerodynamics. So we can get far more efficiency than we have now out of the automobile by simply combining modern uh, electronics with the aerodynamics. So we create all of this drag instantly with electronics when you go into a corner and need to brake, and then it all closes up and uh, makes the car aerodynamically uh, beautiful and efficient again. So we can go back to some of the great-looking designs that, that actually started in the late 30s and, and were influenced by uh, uh, Reinhard Koenig von Faschenfeld and Kamm, and uh, uh, that reached their peak really with the uh, with the Daytona Cobra and the 250 GTO Ferrari. Interesting. Are you working on any? We got about a minute or two left, but do you have uh, anything like that in the works on your drawing board? Something that you're kind of no, I've got. I certainly got it on the drawing board, but uh, you know, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that kind of development. Uh-huh. And you'd have to have a big company to do it. So. You know, as an independent designer, uh, unless somebody comes knocking on the door and says, hey, would you like to try this? It's not going to happen. So even if you look at the projects that, that I've done for all the different companies that I've done, they sort of occur every five or ten years. They don't happen day after day. Uh, and so I, I have to kind of catch up with the t- technology of the day every time a new project comes on. Wow. Well, Pete, we're just about out of time, but I do want to thank you for coming on the show. I would like to have you on again so we can talk a little bit about this, and I apologize for the connection. I have no idea whether it was your end or my end, but uh, I, again, I'm very thankful for you to come on. I look forward to seeing you at Amelia Island, and uh, again, my friends, I had uh, the legendary Peter Brock on my show this evening. If you want to find out more about Peter Brock, visit his website, breracing.com, right, Peter? That's the best way the people can follow you. And, That's it, Rob. Okay. And look up AeroVault trailers as well. That's what we're doing today. We're building aerodynamic car haulers, and they're really slick looking. That's right, and they're being built right here in America in Henderson, Nevada, correct, Pete? Exactly, yep. That's where you do them. Okay. Well, Peter, I want to thank you very much. Say hi to Gail. Happy Valentine's Day to her. And again, thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. And uh, we'll have to do this again because I have a whole list of questions, and I want to talk about some of this other really cool stuff and about you know getting the youth involved in our in our hobby and stuff like that. But in the Good. meantime, we'll see you at Amelia. We'll see you at Amelia. Okay. In the meantime, I want all my listeners to don't forget to tune in our show every Tuesday night for the uh, most legendary, legendary, and fascinating games in motorsports right here on the Tantalk Radio Network, Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check out our website, CallStreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget this weekend, HSR. Next weekend, we've got the swap meet at uh, the Carlisle event. And uh, man, I, one of these days I get either. Hey, you know what? Check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Check out our events page. It'll all be on there. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and don't forget, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that other good stuff, and uh, take care, guys. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.